it was our youngest son's 12th birthday this time last week. And in our house, when it's your birthday, you get to pick what you want to eat for the evening meal. So um, last week, we had a pizza takeaway. Now, our younger son, he likes quite plain pizzas. So I'm talking cheese and tomato, you know, nothing extravagant, nothing exotic, whereas I always go for the other end of the spectrum. So when I pick a pizza, it normally has so many ingredients on that you can't quite work out what it's actually meant to be. But there's a danger with that. You get so many flavours that actually it ends up tasting quite bland. And you might as well have gone for a cheese and tomato in the first place. Hebrews chapter 10 is a very complex chapter of the book of Hebrews. There are multiple themes that sort of overlay one another. And if we take too much at one go, we could end up with like a pizza that has got too many toppings on it, not really being able to distinguish which flavour is which. So rather than do that, what we're going to do is take two weeks to look at just part of Hebrews chapter 10. So this evening, if you have got a Bible in front of you, I'm going to read from verse 19 just down to verse 25. And this evening, I'm reading from the ESV translation. So starting at verse 19. Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart in the full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us this evening. And we just pray as we read these words, as we digest them, as we just pour over them for the next half an hour or so, that you'll help us to to really be encouraged by what we find here. Encouraged to a deeper way of discipleship, encouraged to a deeper expression of worship. And we ask it in your name. Amen. If you've been with us for the last three chapters of the book of Hebrews, we've been hearing about the priestly nature of Jesus's ministry, how Jesus was a high priest in the order of Melchizedek, how he is a fulfillment of all the priestly roles of the Old Testament, and how he is the once for all sacrifice, giving of his own blood so that we can have faith in God and come to know God ourselves. And if you like, we've been climbing up and up and up. We've been adding more and more information to work out exactly who Jesus is. And it's like we're climbing up a mountain. Now, I like climbing mountains, but I've not done any mountains at all this year, probably for quite obvious reasons. But when I climb up a mountain, actually, I don't like to look too much around at the view or or think too much about it until I get to the summit. Because when you're climbing, the summit is the destination point. You want to get there. But as soon as you've got to the summit, actually, that is the place where you stop, you look around, you take a breather, you see the view that is now laid out before you. Hebrews chapter 10 is almost like we've reached the summit point of the ministry of Jesus. And we get this really important word, therefore. 
because of all that has gone on before, because of the previous three chapters about the high priestly nature of Jesus's ministry, because Jesus is the once for all sacrifice, therefore, and then we have the instruction, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. So verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Verse 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Or if you want to put it quite simply, draw near to God through Christ in worship. So the first thing we find this evening is that this is a new type of worship. We can now join in the most holy place with the host of heaven. Complete access is ours to the very throne room of God. We don't enter through the sacrifices of of calves or goats, but through the once for all shedding of the blood of Christ, who has made the way open for us into the most holy place. And so the encouragement is here is approach, draw near. Do not waver. Do not neglect our beliefs, but come with confidence. Now, the minute we start talking about that word worship, and it's from this old English word that really means to put worth to something, to ascribe worth. It's a word that is so rich and diverse that it can be very difficult to sort of grasp the enormity of what the writer of the Hebrews wants us to deal with this evening. Now, when I say the word worship, I wonder what the thing that sprang into your mind was. I think we we somehow seem to be sort of predisposed to think that worship is equal to music and to singing in all its glorious variety. Now, don't hear me wrong. Music and singing can be worship. But worship isn't just music and singing, and we have to have it that way around. Now, my background is as a musician, and I love to praise God through music, whether it's through what we do in our church family here with our worship band and contemporary songs, whether it's through listening to a choir or a gospel choir or a brass band, whatever it is, loads of different expressions we can give to God in praise. But actually, when I think about sung worship, it can be one of the most profound things in terms of how we draw near to God. And certainly some of the most profound moments I've had of encountering God have been during the singing of of sung worship. There's a a passage in James where it talks about when we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. And music is a gift from God that can be used for that. But we mustn't confuse that with saying that worship is just music. There is so much more and there is such a deeper reality. Another way we talk about worship is to think about our lifestyle, about lived out worship, not so much the corporate gathering of Christians, but the way that we actually live out our worship in our day-to-day life. It says in Jeremiah 31, verse 33, This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And what Jeremiah is talking about is the transformation that the Holy Spirit will bring through the new covenant there. Romans chapter 12, Paul will talk about our whole lives as being a spiritual act of worship. The giving of our bodies, our everything to God in worship as an act, as as something we can do to demonstrate our love for God. And yes, absolutely, scripture confirms this. Worship is a lifestyle activity, just as much as a corporate one that involves, as we've talked about, singing, but more than that, prayer, Bible reading, everything that we do can be worship. 
But the writer of the Hebrews, if you like, takes us to an even higher summit where we can view the whole panorama of what worship now is. As we come to the pinnacle of the high priestly ministry of Jesus, who has died, who has risen again, who has paid the price for us so we can enter into the holy place. And what we find is now worship is partaking in the very activities of heaven itself. Some writers call Christian worship and say that Christian worship is essentially an eschatological event. Now that sounds very complicated, but actually what that means is that eschatology is just the study of the end, the study of when Christ becomes all in all. So essentially what it means is that we can join in now with what we will be doing for eternity. It's an event, it's something that we can partake in and we can have a foretaste of in this life that continues into the next. So if worship is that kind of thing, if it is this kind of, if we want the technical language, this eschatological event, should it be something we experience? Should we feel worshipful? Should we encounter God's presence in all its different ways as we worship? It's a question that I think I've been asked quite a lot over the years. And my answer is that I hope at times when we do worship, that we do encounter the presence of God. That seems to me to be a a fairly straightforward reading of, of this chapter here. But human feelings and emotions are not always, and certainly aren't always in my case, an adequate guide to biblical reality. If we only rely in life on how we feel, and not have our life rooted in the truth of the word of God, don't be surprised that when things get tough, that your faith starts to waver. Don't be surprised that actually being in places where you feel that you've had that experience, if that doesn't happen, you will start to feel drifting from God. We need to be rooted more in reality than we do in emotional experience. As I was prepping for this this week, I was sat in an upstairs room in the manse and this room has a particularly nice view out over the fields beyond the back of church and um, there should be a picture appearing on your screen now. You can see why it's quite a nice view because there's fields, there's trees, you can sometimes sit and watch the birds flying overhead, occasionally a bird of prey will be circling round. Now from time to time if I'm working in that room I just sit and I watch what's going on, and I experience the view. And it takes my mind off what I'm doing. And sometimes it actually leads me into a place of sort of praise and thanks to God for the beauty of his creation. But at other times, the view is still there, but I'm writing emails, or I'm on the phone, or I'm doing something else. And actually, I don't really experience the view at all. But you know, the reality of that view doesn't change. The view is still there, even if my experience of it has sort of turned a little bit and I'm not really thinking about it. The reality of how we worship, I would suggest, is a bit like that. We approach into the holy place through Christ, through the reality of sins forgiven. All that is gloriously true, no matter whether our emotions seem to agree with us at the time or not. No matter whether we feel like we're worshipping or not. If we approach God with a sincere heart, with an unwavering faith, then that is what is going on in the heavenly realms. We should never be in doubt that when we draw near, that we are drawn nearing to our heavenly father. There was a cartoon that was on Facebook a while ago, and it was from the author and speaker, church leader, Francis Chan. And it sort of involves a sort of imaginary conversation that he's having with somebody. And it 
it goes like this. So somebody comes up to him and says, I didn't really like the worship today. To which he replied, well, that's okay, because we weren't worshipping you. It's interesting, isn't it? When we talk about worship, and when we think about corporate worship, we so often think about the way we experience it. And it may be you, you've come to church or you've been watching one of the, the stream services and you didn't like a particular song and you didn't like the way something was done and you start to make an emotional response in terms of worship. Hebrews 10 takes us beyond that. And it says, look at the reality. It's not about what you feel or what you think. It's about actually what is really going on. So draw near to this greater reality that transcends and sits above and beyond human experience. But, you know, the incredible thing is we do this not as an onlooker, not as a guest at someone else's party, but rather we are welcomed in as God's children, God's adopted sons and daughters, welcomed in to his heavenly throne room. I imagine over recent weeks, most of us have seen far more of our homes than actually we'd rather have done. And it's going to happen for another number of weeks as well, isn't it? Now, I'm conscious that sometimes home life, and particularly at the moment, can be fraught and it isn't always as we'd want it to be. But actually, when a home is working well, when we think about home in the best sense of the word, it is the place where we can be ourselves. It is the place of relaxation. It's the place of slippers and dressing gown, not of formal suits and ties. It's the place where actually we can just relax and we don't have to put up pretense. We are invited, if you like, into God's home in this kind of way, not as strangers, but as adopted children. Years ago, and I'm talking 20, 25 years ago, I was involved in a mission um, down in sort of mid Wales on the Welsh borders, sort of just going into Wales opposite Lemster and Ludlow, that kind of area. And from what I can remember, I think there were a team of about five or six of us. And we went to stay in this couple's home. And this home was an amazing place. It was like a, an old fashioned country house. And it had formal gardens, it had a river, it had paddocks, it had meadows, it had barns, it had all kinds of things. And when we got there, remember um, this couple saying, just treat this place as your own. While you're here, this is home. If you're hungry, there's the kitchen. If you want to get something to drink, there's the kettle. And it really was like that. And they really did mean it. We could sort of go and watch a film. You could go and get something to eat. And it was, it was all sort of homely and felt really good in that kind of way. But within all of that, there was a kind of deep respect that felt inevitable in that kind of place. Now, at the time, I was probably, what, late teens, 20, that kind of age. But there was no way we'd have kicked a ball around in the formal gardens. There was no way that you'd have treated that place with anything but respect. It was homely, but it was also a place of respect. As we draw near through Christ into the very throne room of God, worshipping Almighty God, it is a serious thing, but it's an inherently joyful and celebratory and family occasion. Matt Redman wrote a song a number of years ago called Friendship and the Fear. And to me, that sort of summarises how we approach God, not fear in the kind of scared way, but fear in that kind of awestruck way of the nature of who God is. It's reverence, but intimacy at the same time. It's glory, but it's friendship. And God, the Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, calls us to draw near as Abba Father. It says, come near. Call me dad. That's what that word means. That word of very tender intimacy. So it's participatory. 
is active. To worship involves our minds, our hearts, our everything. And drawing near is something we consciously have to do. You know, the writer here doesn't indicate it will happen for us. It's something we have to do. So tonight, will you draw near? Will you take these words and draw near to God with unwavering faith, confident because of the blood of Jesus? Second thing I want to pull out of these verses this evening is that there is a call to meet in these verses. One thing that stands out um, just in those six verses that we read earlier is the number of corporate words that are used. We, us, our, one another. Eleven times in six verses are corporate words used. Sometimes, I think as Christians, we can think that the most spiritual things we can possibly do are on our own. The sort of encountering God in, in the silence. And you go back through church history, and in the sort of third century, you've got the ancient desert fathers and mothers who would go off into the desert. Some who would climb on the top of pillars and sit there for many years, encountering God in the solitude. Right the way through to today, where I sometimes meet people who say, oh, I don't go to church. I don't meet with other Christians. I just follow Jesus on my own. And sometimes it can be tempting to think that actually the solitary is the most spiritual response and that the best response to Jesus. Now, don't hear me wrong. There, there is a strong scriptural theme about the need to worship in the solitary place, about the need to encounter God, just our hearts, our minds, sort of with him, spending time with him. And in fact, Jesus encourages this in Matthew 6, verse 6. He says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Last summer, and goodness me, it seems like a lifetime ago now, but last summer I was on sabbatical and I had a retreat at the end of that time. I think it was towards the end of August up in Northumbria. And I was up there for four days. And for those four days, probably 90 plus percent of the time, I was on my own. And yet it was in the peace and the quiet that I really found I encountered God. So there is something really to be gained about the solitude and the prayer in that kind of way. But I think what the writer here wants to emphasize is that whilst that is, all, whilst that is true, there is a, essentially a corporate nature that must also be part of Christian worship. Because a Christian who lives in isolation and without accountability is one who makes themselves inherently vulnerable. So we need the two, the solitary and the corporate. Now, the irony of having to deal with a scripture that talks about meeting together isn't lost on me at this time when actually we can't physically meet together. But let's look at verse 24 and 25 anyway. Stir one another up to love and good works and to not neglect, neglect to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and the more as you see the day drawing near. So the first thing we really need to look at is why should Christians meet together? What is meeting together all about? Well, essentially, it is about encouraging each other. Now, encouragement is talked about a lot in the New Testament. It's one of the spiritual gifts. And I think it's one that sometimes we can sort of belittle down to thinking it's all about just saying well done to people and giving somebody a pat on the back. But actually, it's far more than that. The gift of encouragement is about encouraging one another to grow in Christ-likeness, to grow in discipleship, to become more like Jesus. And the purpose I can see for meeting in this passage 
is about encouraging each other to become more like Jesus and therefore be ready for the day when he returns. When life is more normal than it is at present, we um, attend all kinds of different things um, as, a, as an individual, as a couple, as a family. And it may be things like we go to school events, information evenings put on by the school. Sometimes we go to concerts, we'll go to Christian events or conferences. It might be that you go to concerts, you might go to the theatre, you might go to a musical or you might go to a comedy club. But for the most part, those kind of things are about attending, not about meeting. And we sort of go in and we basically do as we told. You sit down and, and you partake as, a, as an observer, as an attendee. You know, if I went to see a musical and in the middle of the musical thought, oh, I know this one, I think I'll go and join in. And I hopped on stage and sort of, you know, sang my heart out. I think security would come and remove me fairly quickly. But I wonder if some of the times when as Christians we gather and we call it a meeting, actually what it's more to do with is attending the meeting. Things happen around us, but actually we're not really participating and being challenged. Now, that is not necessarily a bad thing. And, you know, it's, it's good to attend things. It's good to receive in that kind of way. And there is a definite stream of, of sort of activity through the New Testament that points to that going on from the very early days of the church. Paul, in Acts chapter 20, is preaching and talking. And it, it says that he goes on and on and on. It's a sort of blueprint for preachers who want to preach for a long time. But anyway, the results are not that great because somebody falls asleep and ends up falling out of a window. Um, and appears dead, and Paul has to go and pray with them. And thankfully, it's all fine by the end of the passage. But prayer, even, sometimes song worship, sometimes these can be things that actually we just show up at. We attend rather than actually be encouraged and meet with one another. And this is brought into sharp focus at the moment, when actually we just have to switch on our iPad to go to church, or open our laptop, or look on our phone. We don't even encounter other Christians. We just sit there and receive. Now, that is great that we can do that. It's such an encouragement. It is part of what meeting together is about, but it isn't on its own enough. If we just turn up and expect other people to do discipleship for us, that somehow we just learn by hearing and not by being challenged by one another, then I think we run the risk of actually being quite shallow followers of Jesus. Because when we look at how Jesus modeled discipleship, it was quite different to that. Jesus spent three years with 12 men, sharing every part of life with them, teaching them, challenging them, questioning them, eating with them. Jesus didn't choose to stream from heaven a message. He didn't choose to send us a lecture series. He didn't just send us these amazing notes to read, although he did preach some of the most amazing words that have ever been said. But he met with individuals. He met with groups. And so we're called to meet with one another. We use that word meet, don't we, quite differently to the word attend. If I say I'm meeting up with friends or or I'm meeting with family, there's the thought of conversation, of actual relationship forming. Thursday, last week, I had a Zoom conversation um, with a friend who is a minister of a church. And this person is a bit older than me. Um, They've been a minister quite a lot longer than me. And since me and Claire and the the family moved to Lim, um, it's almost five years ago now. I can't believe time has flown. Um, But he's been my mentor during that period. And we meet up probably every couple of months. Now, I give him permission to ask whatever questions he wants of me. 
It can be questions about our family life, questions about my personal walk with Jesus, questions about leadership in church. And for me, that is absolutely essential because it's somebody who has permission to speak into my life and to challenge and to to allow me to grow and to allow questions to be asked. So I want to ask us this evening, if, if you're a committed follower of Jesus, do you have people who you can genuinely meet with at that kind of level? Now, obviously, at the moment, that's not face-to-face meetings. It's important that we, we do that on the phone or over Zoom. But do you have people who can challenge you and encourage you to grow to be more like Jesus? Do you have people who, when they say something and speak into your life, you'd actually be prepared to listen to what they say because you know it comes from a place of wanting the best for you in Christ? Think about the model of Jesus again. You know, Jesus was very happy to preach to big crowds. Think about the feeding of the 5,000. You know, lots of people there. Lots of people who just literally attended. They didn't meet with Jesus. They just showed up. And he would preach to them and teach to them. He would also then have a bigger group of followers around him. But then we've all also talked this evening about the 12, you know, those more intimate friendships. But then it goes down to an inner group, a smaller group again, the three. The inner circle of disciples who he shared his deepest feelings with who were there at the transfiguration, who were with him in the Garden of Gethsemane. If tonight, as lockdown continues, you're feeling that actually, I don't have that. I do a lot of attending, but I don't have a lot of meeting. Then can I challenge you to think about that this evening? If you're not already part of a small group, the first step is to find other Christians you can meet with. So do contact us as a church about that. We'd love to get you plugged in to a small group. But as I was thinking about this this week, you know, I think as a church family, we we do the sort of bigger scale stuff really quite well together. We also do the small group quite well. But then I think we start to run out of steam when it comes to those groups of three or even the personal one-to-one relationships. We're we're not as good at organising ourselves in that kind of way. But it might be that even today you could think of somebody who actually you could encourage, you could help them along in their journey or somebody who, who, who could help you. I think it's really important that we have the both and. Because it appears that actually for the writer of the Hebrews, there was a problem. People were stopping meeting together. Some were giving up. Some were stopping meeting in those sort of challenging relationships and just going it alone. But the day is coming when Jesus will return. And the call is to be faithful, to be ready and to keep going. We need one another. We need each other now. And as the the scriptures fast forward, as you go to the end of the book of Revelation, what we partake in in worship in those final chapters, what we will be part of is corporate worship. It will be with one another. The final images of Revelation are of multitudes worshipping around the throne, of the city of God filled with people. They're not of people sat in the desert on pillars, isolated. So it's as if the writer is saying, as we prepare for this, let's do it one with another. Let's care for one another, love one another, encourage one another. Be in those relationships where we can actually challenge each other. So this first part of Hebrews 10, we've reached the summit. We've started to peer off into the distance and see some of the effects that the work of Christ has had over us. We can draw near with faith. We can draw near to God with confidence. We are welcomed in to the holy places. And there's that call then to encourage each other, 
to meet with one another until the day when Jesus returns. There's going to be a prayer that's appearing on the screen that was written with this passage in mind. I'm just going to pray it um, for us this evening. So if you'd like to join in with this prayer, the words will appear now. Father, I thank you that I am in your presence being heard and received. I thank you that the most holy place that was so inaccessible in Old Testament times is now open to me and that I can enter by the blood of Jesus. I rejoice that even as I sorrow over my sin, however dark and regrettable it is, that you and I can meet for fellowship and reconciliation. Through Jesus, I am made acceptable. Through him, my sin is cleansed and fellowship with you is restored. So teach me, Lord, to enjoy your presence. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us this evening. Please do um, stay on for our Zoom conversation. It'd be great just to chat through some of the issues we've looked at this evening. We'll see you again soon. God bless.